0: Turn with me to the book of Genesis, chapter 35, and uh, I want to take you from the first verse. I'm glad you're here today. Thank you for your worship, for your intentiveness. I feel the presence of God. And uh, this week is Youth Week, and I will tell all the young people, this is an important week in your life. You need to be careful this week. Don't let anything sidetrack you from being ready to receive what God has to tell you in your life. Because God wants to talk to you. And the devil has just a way of kind of getting your focus off so that when you come to church, you kind of have to waste time trying to get back into the spirit and get back into the flow. Don't, don't be be in the spirit. Be in the flow when you get here on Wednesday night so that God can speak to you on the first night and you don't have to wait till the last night. God wants to do something amazing in your life. In fact, I'm going to hopefully do my best to speak a little bit to the young people throughout the sermon and kind of maybe a little prophetic what God wants to do this week. But the book of Genesis chapter 35 and verse 1, God said to Jacob, Arise and go to Bethel. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all that were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Let us rise and go to Bethel that we may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave to Jacob all of the foreign gods they had and the rings that were in their ears and Jacob hid them under the terabith tree that was near Shechem. And I want to talk to you today I, I Last couple of Sunday mornings uh, I, I was doing a series on altars We've gone through the first altar Which was the altar of Abel And we, we looked at Cain's altar too in there But it was the altar of first fruits That you need to give God those things first don't, don't give God leftovers Don't give God the hand-me-downs We went to the second altar The altar of Noah Which was the altar of worship And the altar of thanksgiving From there Last Sunday, we went to the Abraham's altar, a place of testing and submission. And today, I want to take you to the Jacob's altar, a place of destiny and a place of promise. And I believe that there is many in the midst of here that that you have a, a desire to have a promise and a destiny in the things of God. Though you may have dreams in a field, you may uh, uh, work a secular job, you may do things of that nature, but I am confident that there is a great majority in this church that have a desire wherever it is, even if it's at your secular job, to be used of God. You've got those dreams and I want to take you to a place of destiny and of promise. Would you bow your heads and would you pray the Lord's word speak to you in a mighty way? Father, Father. This is your word. There's nothing we can do to change it. There's nothing we can do to add or take away. Lord, it's a a story that most of us are going to be very familiar with. And I pray that you would not allow the familiarity that we have with the story to to deaden or, or lessen the impact of your word today. Lord, even if we know everything about it, would you still let your word speak very loudly, I pray, in the mighty name of Jesus. And we give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You can be seated. There have been many messages that have been preached on Jacob and the things of Jacob. We have called Jacob and and the very word Jacob meant surplanner or cheater. And so there's been a lot of messages preached about Jacob the liar, the cheater, the supplanter, the heel grabber, and then, of course, you have, and we'll get to it in a moment, that incredible uh, change of life where where God says, you're no longer Jacob, but Israel, meaning a prince with the Lord. And, and it's easy to talk about that. I've preached messages that He wants uh, God wants you to tell him your name, because when he wrestled, and you'll see that in a moment, Jacob wrestled, and God said, what is your name, and Jacob had to tell Tell him, my name is Sir Planner. My name is Liar. My name is Cheater. And, and how that there are times that you need to give God those uh, ugly things in your life, those labels that you've been labeled with, and we've preached messages. And there's truth to all of those. But tonight, my desire and, and the, the, the hunger that I have is to take a a story and a a narrative that you're familiar with and find a way to delve deeper and perhaps see something more than just the surface, that we don't allow uh, the commonality of this story to blind us. I want God to speak to us because we got to get to that altar of Jacob. And, and if you'll give me uh, some time to just sort of tell you a narrative. I don't have a whole lot of deep Bible verses. If you want to know, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 26 all the way to Genesis chapter 35. And so somewhere I'm going to be in one of those verses uh, as we go. But if you will, would you catch a hold of just some of these little tidbits of truth as we weave them together to get to the altar? You cannot get to the altar of destiny. You cannot get to the altar of of a a promise unless you take some of the steps that Jacob took. But there's also some steps that Jacob took that hindered him in a mighty way. And we would be good to not follow those. Isaac was... um, hundred or I'm sorry, Isaac lived to be 180. Isaac Abraham's son. When he was 40 years old, Isaac took a trip and he found his wife, Rebecca, the daughter of Bethuel. And it was there that Rebecca came, and they, they came together, but for, for some uh, 20 years, Rebecca was barren. Rebecca could not have any children. For 20 years they prayed. For 20 years Isaac would entreat the Lord. And finally, after 20 years, uh, she is she has conceived, and the Bible says that there was something, there was a struggle inside. Of course, they didn't have all of the medical technologies that we have. There was no ultrasounds and 3D ultrasounds. There wasn't even heartbeat monitors. You just had to kind of let nature take its course, but something was different. There was a struggle within her womb, and she prayed, and she said, Lord, what in the world is going on? I feel like I'm being ripped apart. I want you to look with me at at, uh, Genesis chapter 25, and I want you to look, because I want you to see it. You have to see it. Look at verse 23. Now, help me out. I need a little bit of audience participation. I'm going to read you something, and I want you to tell me what it means. Are you ready? I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Verse 23 of Genesis chapter 25. First off, remember, she prayed, Lord, what's going on? In verse 23... And the Lord said to her, What just happened? Let me repeat those six words. And the Lord said to her, What just happened? The Lord spoke. This is not a dream. This is not eating too much pizza at night. This is God speaking. And when God speaks, you best listen. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in thy womb. Two people are from within you, and they shall be divided. And one shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. This was a promise from God. This was a promise. Prophetic word. There is no way in God's earth you could ever say that God didn't speak because the Bible says God spoke to her. I want you to remember that because it comes into play, and, and I honestly I didn't see it until today, but it comes into play later how important it is when God speaks to you. First, listen, and number two, grab hold of that. Because God doesn't change his mind. Now, now listen to me, God doesn't change his mind. We can change. We can get out of the will of God. Remember, we're talking about promises and destinies. If God has ever spoken anything into your life, you need to understand he doesn't change his mind. The days of her birth were completed and there were twins in her womb. And the understanding is the first came out. It was a hairy child. His was very red. They called his name Esau. But as soon as that Esau came out, there was a hand gripping the heel of his older brother. And his name was Jacob, and Isaac was 60 years old. Jacob and Esau, they fought in the womb. And it seems to me this was more than just normal sibling rivalry that began to play out. Jacob, and I'm i going to tell you, I'm going to be honest, Jacob did a lot of things wrong in his life. But as I begin to look through this story with fresh eyes and and trying not to look at it through the lens of sermons I've preached on it before and my own understanding, I realize that we have given uh, Jacob a much worse rap than perhaps he completely deserves. Is he innocent? Absolutely not, and you'll see that. But I want you to realize that when God promises things, he means them one day Jacob he, he intended to be one of those that stayed at home he cooked he kind of hung around the tent he didn't go on a lot of trips and he saw instead was the one that would take out it's almost a, a Cain and Abel type story Cain was the hunter, Cain was the, the, the one that, that uh, would, would have all of the animals out trying to find pasture for them and, and sheep and goats and having to go further away while you had uh, Abel who stayed at home and tended the garden. You kind of have some of those same dynamics at play here with Esau and Jacob. And so it was that he, uh, Jacob was cooking some stew and Esau came home, he had been in the field, he was tired it had been a hard hunt. He obviously hadn't got anything and he couldn't uh, make any food and he comes home and he probably, to be honest, really is starving. It could have been two, three, four, five days without much substance. He came home, he was famished and he said uh, to, to Jacob, he said, hey, can I have some of that stew? And Jacob and and... I don't know if Jacob really was trying to be ignorant. I don't know that Jacob was trying to be a supplanter. I kind of think, uh, as I've looked at it with different eyes, that Jacob was just being a a, a, a sibling. Jacob was just kind of pushing all the right buttons. and And perhaps flippantly, He said, yeah, I'll give you some uh, soup if you'll give me your birthright. The birthright would have been the double portion of the inheritance, meaning that, that the oldest son typically would get twice as much inheritance as the younger son. And so, uh, Jacob, maybe he was just kind of kidding, hey, you really want it, you know, how kids do, and 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 not even kids, I I know how I am with my own brother, especially around Christmas time, and we're in our 30s, and so, you know, it, we really don't change, he kind of held up that stew, and he said, hmm, do you really want it, hmm, smells good, don't it, why don't you give me your birthright, and the Bible says that that. Esau said, I'm going to die of hunger, so the birthright's not going to matter. Give me some. And Jacob says, well, swear to me. And Jacob listened as Esau swore and sold his birthright. And the key is not that Jacob deceived Esau, but that the Bible is very clear that Esau despised his birthright. If you have your Bibles, there is one other place that I'm going to take you. Would you turn to Hebrews chapter 12? The book of Hebrews, chapter 12, gives us a deeper insight to that. Verse 16 and verse 17. It um. Help if I get into chapter. In chapter 12, it says this. It says, uh, "See that no one is immoral or unholy like Esau." who sold his birthright for a single meal. And you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, even though he sought it with tears. The understanding is, Esau didn't care about the birthright. Jacob took advantage. You get to the story in chapter 26, there was a famine in the land, and and Jacob's family was horribly dysfunctional. They had awful problems. I don't know how many of you remember Abraham and his uh, uh, foray into Egypt when he shouldn't have been there and how he walks there with Sarah, his wife, and as he's going to Egypt he realizes, hey, Sarah's a beautiful lady and, and they'll probably kill me so that they can have Sarah. So Sarah, don't tell them I'm your husband because then they'll kill me. Tell them I'm your brother. And so it was that that Abraham and Sarah lied to Pharaoh and finally Pharaoh called. on to it and, and it caused some great consternation and what we have seen is as dads do, so do sons. And now Isaac is, is in uh, the land of, of the Philistines area and Abimelech, the king, is there and he lies about his wife, Rebekah, and all the while Esau and Jacob, from what I understand, they're seeing that, seeds of, of discord and seeds of deceit. Something is birthed in the life of Esau. The Bible says in chapter 26 and verse 34, and I could preach a whole message on this, and, and I, I really probably need to, uh, but just, just catch with me for a moment. When Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Beriah the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basmath, the daughter of Elon the Hittite, and they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. Esau not only despised his birthright, but Esau began to have a hatred for anything that was of the things of God. And so it was that Esau, in a spiteful manner, decided in his bitterness and in his uh, uh, unholiness, he marries outside the family of God. And in doing so, he makes his father and mother's life miserable. And it's all kind of to dig at them and get back to them. And I could preach a whole message about that because I've seen that in families and lives today. That what you do is more than just your own life. But Isaac is growing old. Isaac lived to be 180 years old. And I don't know exactly when it is that chapter 27 uh, happens. I don't think his death is as imminent at this point as it could be for later on. You find out that Jacob and Esau buried their father. So he at least had to be buried after Jacob and Esau came back together and reunited. But... When Isaac was old, his eyes had grown dim and blind, and he feels as if his life is coming to a close. And so he calls Esau, and he says, Esau, I want to uh, give you a blessing. I I want you to go. I would really like some of that venison that you have gotten, and I, I like the way you prepare it, and it's just the right spices for me. Would you go so that when you return, I can bless you before I die? I want you to listen very carefully. Isaac would have been a recipient as well as the words of God to his wife Rebecca. God had told Rebecca, before any of them came out, the younger or the, the, the elder shall serve the younger. J- uh, uh, Isaac, your son has already sold his birthright, and he despised his birthright. Isaac, you have no business trying to bless Esau at this point. But I will tell you today, it was that Isaac allowed his flesh to determine his spiritual walk. What it was, was Isaac was craving the spicy food. Isaac was craving the venison. And so his flesh, what his, his own uh, uh, life and his own nature required, was clouding his spiritual walk. He had no business blessing Esau. Esau had already made decisions that removed him from that blessing. And if beyond that, God had already said that's not what's gonna happen. But Isaac chose anyway. Isaac chose to bless. Rebecca was listening when Isaac made that statement and Rebecca remembers what God had told her that the younger will be over the older the older will serve the younger and Isaac or rather Rebecca remembers that but, but Rebecca is not quite ready to let God's promise and prophecy happen the way God chose and so uh, uh, Rachel gets involved and she now is willing to deceive her husband it's really not a big deal to her because he lied to King Abimelech and so why not I can get back at him for for putting me in a bad spot and so rebecca told her son jacob uh, your father has told your brother to go get some game in the field but i want you to do this i want you to go and get a kid from out of not not like a human kid but a goat kid just in case you're wondering uh, go get a kid from the goats, and and we're gonna we're gonna cook it just right. And I know the spices that we need to use, and we can trick your father into thinking that this is that venison uh, dish that he 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 likes, and and. Uh, we'll put on the clothes that your brother wears. Your your father is blind; he can't see, and so when you walk in, you'll smell like Esau, a man out in the field, and and you'll have that food that he can eat. and And now Jacob is involved. Jacob says, "Why, well, that's not going to work. I don't have a lot of 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 uh, hair on me. I'm kind of a a hairless dude, and and my brother he he looks like a orangutan, and so um." You know, we got to do something. So they, they got some of that skin from the, from the goats and they put it over his arms. And Jacob carries that to his dad. He's going to trick an old blind man to get the blessing. He walks in. I want you to look at this. He walks in and uh, as he goes, Isaac says, uh, who are you? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau your firstborn i've done as you've told me that's the first lie isaac says how is it that you got a deer so quickly you normally don't get that 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 you know that shot that fast and isaac lies a second time and he says well it's the lord your god that's granted me success and and and, and still uh, uh isaac is not convinced he says come near and he puts his hands around the those furs and those skins that are there and He said you smell like my son Esau and you feel like my son Esau and the the meat smells like it but the voice is different but I can't argue with it so come and he gets blessed. As you can imagine Esau comes home and as Esau comes home he finds out that he's lost not only the birthright that he despised but now he lost the blessing and he's crying oh is there anything you can do father and there's nothing really it gives a, a type of blessing but when you read the blessing there's not much uh, that, that, that's good there he says you're not going to have any of the fatness of the earth you're not going to have the dew that falls from the heaven by your sword you'll live you'll serve your brother and when you grow restless you'll break his yoke from your neck and Esau hated Jacob Esau said I'm going to kill him now just hang with me this is one of those sermons that you got to go all the way through just so we can get you at the very end and so it is that, that uh, uh, Jacob runs away. He knows that if he stays at home, he's going to die. And so it is that, that he takes off and he goes. In fact, you find in chapter 28 that when Esau uh, uh, saw... Uh, that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Pada Aram, which is part of their family, to get a wife from them. And when Esau heard Isaac tell uh, Jacob, I don't want you to take a Canaanite woman to be your wife. And when he saw that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and did that, Esau found a Canaanite woman and found him and took him for a wife, just simply a third wife, just simply to spit at his father, to spite him. Jacob leaves Beersheba and heads to Haran. He goes, the Bible says, to a certain place. And as the sun sets, he lays down and he puts his head on a little rock. He's conflicted. He got the blessing. He got the birthright, but I don't see any money leaving so quickly. There's no way he can go home and get what it was. It was an empty blessing, if you will. While there he goes to sleep and he dreams a ladder is set up from the earth, the top of it in heaven, the bottom of it on the, the ground, and angels of God are walking up and down. And he sees all of that and he hears the voice of the Lord saying, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac and the land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring, and your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you'll spread abroad to the west and to the east and the north and the south and and in you and your offspring spring shall all of the earth be blessed I am with you and I will keep you where you go and I will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I've done what I have promised you and there was a promise given that echoes the promise that God gave Abraham when he called him out of Ur Jacob awakes and he says surely the Lord was in this place and I knew it not and so he says this is the house of God he calls it Bethel which means the house of God while this seems to be a deeply spiritual moment, it shows an underlying thing because while he took a stone that was his, his bed and he put it up as a pillar and he poured some oil on the top of it, I would tell you that this is not the altar that you and I need to come to. This is the altar of conditions. This is the altar where you're not really ready to surrender to the Lord. For The Bible says when he poured the oil on it, he called the place Bethel. And he made a vow and this is what he says, pay close attention, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. There are far too many prayers that are prayed like that by you and I that we say, Lord, if you do this, if you bless me, I'll serve you. If you give me this job, I'll come to church. If you do this, I'll walk where you want me to go. And you're no better than a little cheating uh, person lying there in the middle of a desert with a stone and some oil poured on it. And while it seems like it's spiritual, it really is one of the saddest places in the world that you can hear from God. And then promise not be enough. And you start putting conditions on God. And Jacob still has no birthright. He goes to the land of his people in the east and he sees a well there. And you know the story there. He sees uh, Rachel uh, 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 and then you see Leah. I think I said that Isaac's wife was Rachel. She was Rebecca. If I made that mistake, I apologize. Uh, but but she see he sees Rachel and she's beautiful and and, and he goes to Rachel's father Laban and says I, I want that her for a wife and and help me and Laban says well I know you don't have any money and so typically in our culture there's a dowry you've got to give the father something and since you're poor and you have nothing you ran away from home there's you, you don't even have a, an animal it seems like to your name he says I want you to work for me for seven years after seven years if you still want. Rachel I'll give her to you and so it is that Jacob did exactly that for seven years he labored for seven years he never lost sight of that lady and for seven years he dreamed of the day that he could complete that task and go to Uncle Laban and say I'm ready to be married after seven years was done he goes and it's time for the marriage ceremony. It's a beautiful ceremony. It's a grand ceremony. Laban was rich. He had a lot of money and status. And at the end of that ceremony, she was heavily veiled, as the people in that eastern uh, country would be. And it's there that when he wakes up and the veil is no longer there, it's not Rachel, but it's tendered-eyed Leah. It's not the one he wanted. It's not the one he he planned for. It wasn't what he agreed on. And once again, deception and the plan didn't work out and so now he goes back in and Laban kind of laughs and chuckles and says, oh, in our culture we can't let the younger be married before the older, so you got Leah. But I'll let you work for me another seven years and you can get Rachel. And I don't know that he had to work the whole seven years before he got Rachel. It seems like it happened during that. But to be known, he had to work 14 years in order to fulfill the contract. It was a time of... of, of uh, Friction between Laban and Jacob They lied, they cheated They try to accuse each other of stealing sheep And you can see all of that lies Deception, trickery And still, listen to me Still, Jacob is not in the plan of God That's the key I'm hoping you catch on all of this Nowhere yet has Jacob taken one step In the promise and the destiny That God has in mind So finally, after many years, Jacob says, I've got to go. He gathers up. By this time, he's got a great flock. By this time, he's a wealthy man. And while some would look on that, and perhaps it is a blessing for God, I'm going to still tell you, he's not in the will of God. So finally, he decides he's going to go home. Maybe he thought the years had dulled the pain, and maybe Esau's gone. I don't know. I, I think we'll just go home, and so... He gives all of his family. By this time, he's got many children and he's got many wives, or he's got two wives plus two handmaids, uh, one for each of the wife that he's had children with. He's got some twelve children that that has has gone on, and he he goes and as he's making his way back home, he hears that Esau was coming with four hundred men. He's scared. He feels that that Esau's coming to kill him. So he takes his family and he splits them in two and sends one this way and the other side of the family that way so that only one side or one part of the family would be killed and massacred. And instead, Jacob stays to meet Esau. He's greatly afraid. He's distressed. And Jacob begins to pray. And I want you to listen to Jacob's prayer. Because it's at this moment that Jacob's life begins to change. It's at this moment that Jacob finally, after years upon years and and decades upon decades, it's at this point that Jacob finally begins to walk in the plan of God. He says, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. God, I'm not worthy of the least of these deeds of your steadfast love and faithfulness that you've shown to your servant. For only with my staff did I cross the Jordan. That meant the only thing he had of value when he left daddy's home was his staff. But now when I come back, I've got two camps. Look at it. But Lord, please deliver me from the hand of my brother, the hand of Esau. I fear him that he's going to come and attack me and the mothers with the children. But Lord, I remember a long time ago in a dusty old place in the middle of a desert where you began to speak to me. I remembered my head on there. I remember you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea. Lord, help me. Lord, touch me. Lord, guide me. That same night, while he's there alone waiting The Bible says that a man wrestled with him to the break of the day. He is wrestling not with just any old angel. This angel of God, as some translations uh, 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 play it out, is literally God himself. And he's he's wrestling with him. And, And it's interesting that God, with all of his power, is not prevailing over Jacob. And Jacob, with all of his strength, cannot prevail over God. It seems to be a draw until finally God puts his hand and touch the hip socket of Jacob and it goes out of joint excruciating pain is there and, and and God tells him says Jacob let me go the day is coming and Jacob said I won't let you go I need your blessing." Listen to me carefully, somebody here right now. You can have the blessing of man. You can have the blessing of your mom and dad. You can have your blessing of a corporate world. But if you don't have the blessing of God, then you're not walking in his purpose. You're not walking in his destiny. It was at this moment that Jacob realized his life was not about birthrights and inheritances. It was not about the words that man could speak. It was at this moment with tears streaming down his face that Jacob... Jacob said the only thing that matters is that God Almighty would get a hold of my life and bless me. It's there that God says, tell me your name. And Jacob has to let his past come bubbling out as he says, my name is Cheater and Supplanter. And God says, no, no longer Jacob, but rather Israel. You've wrestled with God. You've wrestled with man, but you've prevailed not because Jacob was stronger, but because Jacob finally understood what mattered this place he called peniel meaning i have seen god face to face and my life is been delivered. He wrestled with God. He got right with God. There were no conditions. No, if you do this, I'll do this. It was simply getting a hold of God and saying, I don't need manufactured blessings. I don't need man's approval. I need to hear from you. I need to get face to face and grab hold of you and say, I'm not letting go until my life is changed. So it was that it, it works out. Esau is there. Time has healed some of the wounds. Esau falls on his neck and there is a, a reconnecting and there's something that begins to happen and the families are knit back together. Then we get to this place that I am here in Genesis chapter 35. Jacob tell, or God tells Jacob, I want you to go back to Bethel. Back there, I don't know if that rock is still standing, but go to that place where you put your rocky pillow, where you poured some oil and you made conditions. Go back to that altar that you made where you didn't do it right the first time. Go back to the altar where God appeared to you and God gave you some promises, but you didn't grab hold of them I want you to put away the foreign gods that are among you somewhere and even though Laban loved God it seems or at least he had a relationship with God. I would, he's a descendant of, of, of Abraham and, and, and you would think that he would understand the one true living God but see when you get outside kind of God's realm you pick up a lot of baggage. I don't have time to tell you all the stories that those household gods, their little idols that you could put in a window or somewhere in your house or in your tent. I can't begin to go back and tell you all the problems those little idols caused, Jacob's family and Laban. But he said, I want you to get rid of all the baggage you've collected in your wrong pursuit of blessing. I want you to get rid of all of those things you've gathered from the world. I want you to cleanse yourself. I need you to change your clothes. Go back to Bethel. You're not going to put a little pillar with some oil. I need you to build an altar. And I need you to build an altar to me. And so it was that there in that desert called Bethel, God appeared to Jacob again and blessed him. And God said, your name is Jacob. But no longer shall your name be called Jacob. Israel shall be your name. And God said, I, listen to this, I am God Almighty. I want you to be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations will come from you. And kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac I will give to you. And I will give the land to your offspring after you. And God went up from him in the place where he spoken, And Jacob set up a pillar there where he had spoken, a pillar of stone. And he poured an offering out on it. And he called this place El Bethel. The God of the house. You say, Pastor, why did you take all of this time to just give me a story? It's because I want someone to listen. I have, I, it's one of these messages that you kind of had a different direction and then God just lays it out and you start writing in your Bible because you don't have time to type it. There's far too many people. That want a blessing the wrong way. You search for God, uh, or you search for man's approval, and, and you go about it. I want you to realize that up until that moment, everything that Jacob did, while he might have had a little touch of God, it was the wrong way. God had promised at the very beginning, before he had even come out of the womb, Jacob will be the one that is blessed. The elder will serve the younger. That was a promise of God. But it was not God's will for Jacob to try to cheat the birthright out of Esau. It was not God's will for, for Isaac to, to try to uh, go against what God had promised and, and give Esau a blessing anyway. It wasn't God's will for Rebekah uh, uh, to, uh, to get involved. It wasn't God's will for all of the charades and all of the subterfuge and, and all of that to try to trick. None of that was the plan. Because God's destiny doesn't hinge on what you can do. God's destiny, God's promise hinges on the doors He opens, not what you open. One of the greatest things that has ever been spoken in my life, in my wife's life, was at a general conference when we had felt the call of God and we didn't know what all it had in mind. We felt something going and I was on my face praying, God, give me wisdom. And there was an open door I could have walked down and taken that would have drastically changed the ministry of Sister Buford and I. And I didn't know it at the time, but Pastor Terry Pugh bent down on that uh, arena floor and he put his hands on me and he said, Brandon, you could right now walk down and open a door, but that's not what God wants in your." life he says be careful don't open the door God will open the door everything I thought in my mind I could have done that door I wanted to open you could have looked back and said it was a good door it was a, a spiritual door it was a door of ministry I could have happened I could have had my name there who knows what would have taken place but it wasn't the way God intended and so it is That I tell you today, you cannot get to the place where you manufacture the blessings of God. You cannot have conditions when you come to God. If you are trying to pull God to meet your mold, you're going to find yourself with just a staff in your hand as you traverse a dusty desert. Young people, I I know what it's like to sit where you've sat. It's been 20-something years since I was 17, 18. But I remember those moments, I remember those days as a young person sitting here and waiting with bated breath a youth week or a youth convention or a youth congress. And I know what God does in those moments. I know that there will be some of the deepest moves of God you'll have in this next week. And I've also seen church, I've seen God take a youth revival or a children's revival and speak to us adults. And I have no doubt that Brother Aaron Wright is going to step behind this pulpit anointed by God and bring the word that we need from that moment. And I realize there's going to be some deep moves of God. But listen to me. I need you to quit giving God conditions. I need you to quit saying, God, if this will open up or this position will happen or this will come place, then I'll serve you and I'll find it. I need someone to get a hold of God and get your hands on God and get to wrestling with God. I need some intercession and some fasting and some prayers, the Bible says there are some things that only come through prayer and fasting. If I could give you Buford's translation, there are some things in your life that will only come when you're willing to wrestle with the creator and you're willing to let him put his hands on you and you're willing to let him hit your thigh and you're willing to let him pull you out of socket because your way is not his way. There are moments that God, you don't get it. We, we're too thick headed. We're too hard headed. We know the direction, we have it all mapped out. That's why God had to dislocate his thigh, because God could not change his walk until he got his hands on him. There's far too many people that never let God get their, his hands on us. We want the goosebumps. We want the angels walking up and down the ladder. We want to go, What a service. The Lord was in this place and I didn't even know it. That seems so spiritual. I guarantee you, Jacob told that story everywhere he went. You would never believe, Brother Harvey, what God did in my life, but there was no change. If you're not careful, this weekend will be a ladders and some angelic movements and some goosebumps upon goosebumps feeling. But you'll be the same cheater, liar, supplanter when you leave that house of God than when you were when you came in. It's only a penile. I saw God face to face and he changed me. Listen to me. I don't know how much more I can say it. I don't know how much clearer I can get. I'm trying to talk to somebody right now. Whether it's a young person or an adult, I don't know. But over and over I keep hearing God say, Stop manufacturing the blessings. Stop trying to do it your way. It's a beautiful song. And Frank Sinatra did a good job singing it. But it's an awful way to live. The only way you're ever going to let God direct your life is when you say, Not my will. open these altars some of you need to run to a place of denial if you let just the young people come you missed out on this sermon friend he's calling adults you've manufactured the blessings long enough Now it's time to let the wrestle go. Some of you have dreams. Some of you had aspirations. Some of you even have a call of God. You have a voice of God. In your life, you've got the promise that He gave Mama Rebecca. Somewhere in the midst of life, you manufactured the place. You laid and mapped out your own direction and you've allowed success to be the dictator and because everything hasn't completely fallen apart, you've said, I'm okay, but I'm telling you today, listen to the Word of God. I I firmly believe there's some of you that's been wrestling with God and it started long before I got up to preach this message and now you're understanding why the wrestle. You're understanding why the press, you're understanding why the nights of the agony of prayer, because now it's making sense. God is saying, quit doing it on your own. Quit making it on your own. Oh God, here I am. Lord, I'm coming back to you and I'm making an altar. I'm making an altar of no conditions an altar with no ulterior motives, an altar with nothing else. I'm simply saying, God, at this altar, I need you to alter my life. God, change my direction. I've been to the house of God far too long and not been moved and not been changed, but i got to get in contact with the God of the house of God, the El Bethel. I've got to get to the one who truly can do promise that you've called me and I give you glory in Jesus name